Thanks for listening to episode 121 of the Oklahoma Real Estate Show. If you're thinking about buying or selling in Oklahoma City or the surrounding area, there is a link below to begin your search and get in contact with me. If you've got some ugly ducklings in your portfolio and you need to sell them, I am the agent for you. You can get in touch with me in the description down below or visit OklahomaRealEstateShow.com. Welcome to episode 121 of the Oklahoma Real Estate Show. On today's show, an investor that has grown his portfolio just like we all want to do, and many of you have already done, and now he's on the backside looking to make his investments more efficient. But first, he's going to tell you a little bit of his story and how he got where he got. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. So you want a quick background, like who I am, what, what do I do, like what's my, my story, why listen to me? That's uh, right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're we're actually uh, I would call it state neighbors. I'm from Arkansas, and uh, so we have very similar markets, very similar climates, uh, and I think some very similar state laws. And I actually used real estate as a bridge to escape my day job. I was a I was in corporate America. I was an engineer by training and worked my way up the ladder. Realized my ladder was against the wrong wall. Fifteen years into that climb, I'm like, ah, oh, I've got to do something different. Uh, so I just kind of had this wake-up call moment where I was like, you know what? I I am not uh, living up to my potential. So I used real estate as a way to basically re replace my income. So I, I call it pile. Your passive income exceeds your living expenses. So I kind of went on this mission towards finding and acquiring enough rental properties so that I had enough income from my rental properties to live a comfortable lifestyle. I'm not uh, jetting around in private planes or anything. I'm not going to exotic vacations to the Azores, but I'm comfortable and I'm able to live a very, uh, very reasonable, a normal life, but it bought my time back to then do other things. And so on the, the, the topic of you've built your portfolio, as of now, I have about 40 rentals and it, it got into the cycle of both my life of where I wanted to be and kind of the season of the market where it was getting harder and harder to buy houses. And I just kind of revisited how I was going to look at my business. And I like the way you put it out. I'm on the back half. I kind of, I kind of had reached Mount enough and I didn't need to build another 60, a hundred unit portfolio if I didn't want to. So I then thought about, well, let's optimize this existing portfolio so that I'm getting the most bang from that with the minimum amount of output. And so some things that kind of went through my mind going through that is, okay, let's kind of interrogate for a second what is taking up most of my time. And so I kind of had this concept of having a punch list of my of my 40 properties. And at the time it was probably like 50 properties. Um, and so I was like, okay, of these 50 properties, which of them is giving me the most heartache which of them is giving has the has the worst tenants for whatever reason just doesn't ever perform um the 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 turnover is just constant or i don't have enough or i i have very or i have a lot of equity in one of those properties so i kind of created this this um rubric of looking through my portfolio through that lens where i could you know if i were to sacrifice this property sell it off i might be able to put $25,000 or more in my back pocket and get rid of a problem at the same time. And I felt like that was a good trade-off for my time and energy so I could then reinvest that twenty-five, dollars or just keep the $25,000 in cash and wait for other opportunities. Mm. 
And how did you how did you go through that process of selecting which ones weren't performing as well? So if if you're like uh, most investors, your your bookkeeping is not the best, and you don't really know what property is making what. But I had the the wisdom, or I, I learned the lesson the hard way to f- to find a good bookkeeper, and not just somebody who would like do books, but like somebody who was a former controller. And he really had her her experience down. I found her through um, Upwork. I uh, interviewed, I think, like 50 people. Uh, and then I took 50 applications. I took three interviews. Three of All three of them were probably pretty good. Uh, and the one really bubbled up to the top as someone who was just fantastic. And she has actually gone on to uh, be the bookkeeper for several of my friends here in town because I talked about her so much. Um, so basically, she... Put everything in classes, and she boiled down my my information that I can get reports on a weekly, annual, quarterly basis, however I want. Saying these are the inputs, this is how much time and effort, or how, or how much money is going into this property, and how much money is coming out of this property. So I could really figure out on a monthly basis how much cash flow each property was creating over time, uh, which is one of the things that we do when we when when we run our numbers, you're like, oh, okay, we're going to get $100 a door on this property, or we're going to get this. But that's a pro forma. And we rarely go back and actually look in our rearview mirror and see how is this property actually performing. And you find that there's like a, a bell curve. Like most of them are kind of average. There's a few that are excellent, and there are a few that are, that are terrible. So I just started chopping off the ones that are terrible and selling them. And and that was, so I the numbers based on performance. And then I also took a little bit of analysis on how much time was I spending on them? Mm-hmm. If I had a tenant that had, I've had three turnovers in the last two years, something's going on. Either my management was bad, it's a bad property, bad neighborhood, something. And and if it had, and then this little ladder, this like Venn diagram, if a Venn diagram of how much equity is in the property. And if there is a decent amount of equity in the property and it didn't have uh, a really nice loan on it, it was just some commercial loan, then I could sell that property off and then maximize my portfolio by basically cutting off the, 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 the duds. Excellent. I, I think every single one of us uh, maybe envision doing this five years from now, maybe 10 years from now, but with the interest rates kind of the way they are, this conversation I think is happening now, you know, right. and this is, this is uh, a lot more people are doing this. Uh, okay. So we've gotten to where we're thinning the crowd. Yep. Now you've gotten to the ones that you want to keep. What are you doing next to increase efficiency for your portfolio? Well, well I think we should. I think we should say first that you're spending how many hours a month now on your portfolio? So good question. That's a good kind of segue. So for at first, I was managing them myself, and part of the analysis that I did is that I was paying myself not very much money to manage my own properties. And so if you look at the, the the value of your time and the other things I could be doing and the things I want to be doing, for one, is not managing properties. So I actually hired a property manager and the property manager helped keep consistency and I had the same type of lease and I would be able to consistently raise rents because I just was, I'm a terrible landlord. It's like, I'm, I'm too nice of a guy, I think sometimes. And I wanted it to be consistent to where we would read the market and we would rent the property for the going market rate. You know, there's kind of a range and you kind of figure out what's a a fair, reasonable market rate. And it's very common for self-managed landlords to not raise rents very much, even though your expenses are going up. 
So the value that you're ex exacting out of these properties is becoming less and less. So you, you get this diminishing return that you don't really see unless you have kind mm -hmm. of a third party come and say, you know what, you, know, you could rent these things for much higher. How many of us have gone and bought properties from older landlords who just never raised rents? I don't want to be that landlord 10, five, 10 years from now, right? So to the, the original question I think you asked there was, how much time is I, was I spending? So I was spending prior to you know, managing myself, you know, 10, 15 hours a week managing properties. And I didn't enjoy that at all. And so when I delegated it out and put all my properties to a property manager, then after everything settled, which took a little while, after everything settled, I now spend three hours on the tie-in a month on my properties. So I really only spend my time talking to my property manager and my bookkeeper about my properties. So I'm just making sure I'm filing taxes correctly. I'm making sure that I'm answering questions about a few repairs and that's it. Excellent. <laughs> okay. So very, very little time, truly leaning towards passive and right. which I think is important to note that it's a process to get it there, It is, but it can, it can get there, but you've, you've, had to force yourself to get there by releasing a lot of reins, right? At least releasing a lot of control and mm -hmm. finally getting rid of some of those troublesome properties that would have caused you issue. And now you've got an efficiently performing uh, portfolio. Now you and I talked before about your trick here to, and I thought was brilliant to, to, to mitigating the vacancy, the long vacancies. Uh, why don't you share a little bit about how you were doing that before I think that's a great tip that someone might want to uh, hear. Yeah, this is something that I learned from a conference that I went to, but basically this idea of looking at a renewal of rent when a lease is coming up uh, as a anniversary date. So I don't expect the tenant to leave when the tenant, when the lease is up, I expect them to stay. And one of the options that we, we offer is basically saying, okay, 60 days ahead of time, your anniversary date is coming up and then giving them a pre-selected list of three bonus improvements that they get to pick one of. So this might be like installing new ceiling fan. This might be changing the floor out in one of the rooms. This might be uh, up upgrading one of the, if it has window units for some for sort of reason, then maybe putting a, a updated a window unit that's cleaner and not as noisy. Just something that cost you something between $100 and $200 that you can do an improvement that you would probably do the house anyway. If they moved out, you're going to do at least that much anyway. So go ahead and do it while they're there and you're giving it at them as a perk and they get to choose one of the three that makes the most sense to them. That gives them some some agency over their property and it, it removes this oftentimes uh, difficult relationship that landlords tenants have with each other. Yeah, and, and you're doing that about three months before the the, the lease? 60, 60 to 90 days. I, I experimented a few different ones. 90 days sometimes was a little too early. Um, I found that 60 days was probably the sweet spot. Okay, 60 days beforehand, kind of preempting them that, hey, your lease uh, renewal is coming up and then presenting it as a wonderful opportunity to now where you get at the annual upgrade in the home and, you know, and keeping that in the 200, under 200, I know some people that I've even shared that with are like, I can't afford to repaint the home every year. And I think it's important to note that it's not necessarily so much the amount that you're putting into it. It's that you're partnering with your tenant to kind of give them some ownership in that property of thinking, well, I was able to get a new ceiling fan or whatever the case may be um, that, that really gives them personalization. So they take care of your property. I think that's the bottom line there. 
and then avoiding that that kind of squandry at the last second to re-sign the lease is, is incredible. Right, right. And, the, and part of the pitch of this is like, you know, uh, in, you know, recently, ten, rent is probably going to go up three, five, you know, eight percent. But you do that along with, oh, we're going to do some things for you at the same time, right? And we, and we explain taxes have gone up, uh, our costs have gone up. Uh, I know you're feeling the squeeze. We're doing everything we can to make this manageable. Here's an extra. Uh, perk to make this better. And by the way, pre- preemptively telling them you can't get the same property for, I don't know, $1,200 someplace else. You're you're going from 1000 to 1050 The same unit would rent for 1200 if you went someplace else. And the moving expenses and the stress on the people too, that's a huge uh, thing that people forget about when you when you got to pack up everything. It's, it's exhausting. So to be able to stay there too, that's wonderful. And then, and then you're shoving that obligation back to really where it belongs, which is, again, the taxes are increasing. The insurance is going up each and every year. The mm-hmm. maintenance costs, the, the the repair and all that stuff. You're trying to even that out. Uh, talk a little bit about where you find, because your market is similar to ours. What is your annual? Are you raising rents every year or every couple of years? or How are you doing that and, and by what amount? Yeah, usually we're looking at 3 to 5% that... Um not looking at the data. That's just kind of our default approach. But then before we do that, we look at the actual response time, or I'm sorry, we look at the actual re- reality of the marketplace, what's happening. Yeah. And, and, and in recent years, like that would have been a small increase. Uh, whereas, you know, three, four years ago, that might've been, you know, a, a, a very, a very big increase depending on what was going on. So you definitely want to read the market and stay within parity of what's happening in the market. But like we're in the business to make money. This is not a charitable outfit for us. So we're looking to make sure that our margins stay the same. Wow. Now you've done another thing, which is what you've dubbed midterm Airbnb. And uh, would you explain a little bit about how that's working? That's another idea that you're kind of bringing on the table for folks that they might be really interested in. Yeah. So this is kind of like what I just talked about before. It's just playing a really good game of chess. So this is talking about playing a game of checkers. Uh, I'm sorry. I said this all backwards. Uh, what, what I said before is playing a really good game of checkers. What I'm talking about now is playing a really good game of chess. It's like the next level. So with your existing portfolio. So you got your existing with, portfolio use. Yeah. Sold off the ones that you that are not performing as well. We've got the ones that we that we've retained, and now he's going to tinker even further. Yeah, we're tinkering. That's a good word for it. <laughs> That's a good word for it. Tinker. And this so, next idea is pretty cool. Uh, and and that idea was, how can I get more return out of my existing portfolio? I'm not buying new properties. Well, what I've come to find is that there is a demand for traveling nurses, traveling professionals, but nurses being the the. 80% of the marketplace for corporate uh, corporate travel is becoming a, a growing demand and a growing need, and there isn't new supply coming on very much. And I always thought about running an Airbnb, but I kind of wondered if I wanted to fuss with the, the the difficulty of getting it furnished, and I wanted to, if I, I know if I, if I wanted to fuss with just this constant turnover every two or three days and then having it cleaned. So a midterm rental is when you're renting a furnished property for. 30 days or longer to a traveling professional. And it happens to be a happy medium between a a traditional long-term where it's not furnished versus a short-term or Airbnb. And we still market it through Airbnb. We just market it as a traveling nurse stay 30 days or longer. And that's typically plenty of time because usually traveling nurses have a 12 or 13 
week shift that or, or a, a contract they sign up for. And so they'll sign up for 30 days. They decide they like it. And they, then they extend for another 30 days or, or another six weeks or something. Now, you mentioned the the hassle of furnishing. I, I know I can hear folks, you know, saying, you know, I got to go out and buy all this furniture. What am I mm-hmm. going to do with that? How much does it cost? And you really done all the hard work on that to kind of get us some clean metrics on that. Talk a little bit about staging it, how, what you learned, what you wouldn't do again, what you would do again, and yeah. furniture for your rentals. So this is, uh, I will not uh, sugarcoat the idea that furnishing a property is not a lot of work. It, it is a lot of work. No matter what you do, it, it's a lot more work than just getting a property rehabbed and it's empty and it's ready for a long-term rental. So for a midterm rental, you want it to look nice and you have to do everything like down to the forks and the and the sheets and everything, right? But you don't have to have an Airbnb that has this pop or sizzle effect in quite the same way as a short-term rental because these are traveling nurses. So the way, the best way I know to describe this is think rice cooker over coffee bar. So someone's going to live there for a while. They, they're going to cook in the house. They want functional, clean, safe, they don't need a fancy stoplight feature for for the, 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 the that's that's hanging over the dining room or something, right? They don't need all these fancy, cool, really neat things that we often go to Airbnbs for, right? This is a different clientele. They're gotcha. they want it to work, and your competition is the local extended stays and exactly, yeah. And those yep. things are terrible. Have you ever been to one of those things? They are miserable. They smell so horrible, dear. Yeah, I mean, they get a lot of wear and tear. Um, and then for whatever reason, they're not cared for. It, it, I think it's a big gap in the marketplace because we find that the wear and tear on our properties is actually not that bad, especially if you don't allow pets. The people tend to be pretty decent with taking care of the properties. And so they're turning over probably every three or four months versus every two or three days. So that's the difference in the management headache. Wow. Wow. And and what's been, I mean, just give me a, a, a rough estimate on the cost someone can expect to put furniture in a single family home. I mean, I think you've done what, two bedrooms? Did you do three bedrooms or you yep. like to do those two bedrooms? So I did, uh, I have three units total that I've done and one was a duplex, each was a two one. And then I also did a three bedroom, two bath, two car garage. So it's a full house, you know, 1700 square feet. It's a good size house. And that's probably a little too big for this. Uh, that's about as, as max size as I would go for this, for this particular strategy. You really want the smaller properties that are conveniently located to to someplace to to work uh but i think we spent right at 15 grand to furnish a three bedroom two bath so it, it's it's not cheap and we uh, we've learned a little bit and we could have we could pare that down but you're going to spend between 12 and 15 grand but if you've run the numbers right and you're compounding that with selling off the properties that aren't aren't working right Right, you can you could foreseeably see the average portfolio those properties that they're selling off. Mm. Probably they're getting some money, right? And you cash. could immediately take back and you take that cash, and and then you could dump it into furniture and getting a, your other rentals ready for this midterm rental. Now you would you would you sounds like you've done maybe two or three this way. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I've so done three. Really relatively totally small, small, yeah. small, small percentage. Uh, you don't want to overwhelm yourself, and then the rest you you take her down. Is there anything else that you you have recommendations of that you could think of that maybe uh, somebody might not think about that's that's kind of on the back end as well? And thinking, how can I efficient make my portfolio operate more efficient? Yeah, so um, we've covered I think the 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 big mechanisms. 
Yep. But one thing to think about would be uh, reevaluating re your your financing. So uh, right now you may not be able to get really competitive rates if you have the thirty year fixed, you know, five percent. Like those are that's an asset. So keep those in place. But yeah, you yeah. might you might have owner financing if if you've listened to any of the these of us gurus out here talking about this stuff. We've been talking about you know creative financing for years, and you may have creative financing. Uh, pro 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 properties, but you want to sell it and you have an owner financing situation, but you want to keep the financing, but not the house. You can walk your mortgage to another property. A lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. It's called, uh, basically it's, you just reassign the collateral. So you have to get approval from the lender, but this is usually somebody that you've known and been paying consistently for the last five, 10 years. And you say, Hey, I want to keep the loan, but I'm selling the property. Can I give this other property that I have over here that's free and clear? That's a nicer property as collateral and keep paying you the same. Is there a problem with that? And they don't always say yes, but they could. And that's a way to keep really nice owner financing terms on a different property. Interesting. That that raises so many questions on like, you know, IRS, you know, how are they seeing the sale of that property? But technically, I guess since the loan's not getting repaid to the right. seller, he's not getting hit with capital gains taxes mm -hmm. on that. I was like, wow, yeah, there's there's some interesting, that that's a whole separate podcast right there. <laughs> I won't even begin to get into that one. But just in closing here, I think we, you know, we've covered the real big, the real huge, they're small, simple stuff, but I think they're so big for especially the portfolio owners that are, that you just think you've got it all, but really you're probably micromanaging. You're probably over, over managing your, 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 repair guys and, and it's probably pretty stressful for you and now's the time to really awaken to you you don't have to be living that life you know he made a decision to go from 15 hours a week to what less than five hours a month now but he had to make that decision you had to make that decision and each one of us sometimes has to get to that point where we decide what is my priority and once you do that then you can implement these steps in place but it all starts with identifying first which ones aren't performing right and then being willing to let those go right and condense down to something that you can dish off to somebody that's a little bit more easier to manage and i think that's where the real core of what you just said is is that they were complex to manage you eliminated those you got your portfolio streamlined and then now you felt comfortable handing it off to a property manager to then be able to enjoy the benefits of owning a portfolio and having mailbox money now. Mm-hmm. Thanks, thanks for coming on the show today. We'll have you on every once in a while. You, you've always got such down-to-earth ideas and just uh, you're just real and I, I love it. Could you share a little bit about if folks want to get a hold of you or pick your brain or talk about your new projects, how can they talk with you? Sure thing. So yeah, um, the best way to find me is uh, pauldavidthompson.com. Uh, and I'm, that's probably the way you'd expect those names to be spelled. Paul David Thompson, I'm, I'm sure you put in the show notes. And also, uh, that's where I am on most social medias. And what I'll also do is I'll provide a, a link to you, Lana, that you can put in the show notes that actually has our breakdown of all of the, the items and where we buy them from. For if, you, if somebody wants the, the the option of like just shopping around, is this something I could do for one of my units? 
we've done the the, the hard work of getting the, the pick list for you and now you're just going to go buy it. Thanks for listening to episode 121 of the Oklahoma Real Estate Show. If you're thinking about buying or selling in Oklahoma City or the surrounding area, there is a link below to begin your search and get in contact with me. If you've got some ugly ducklings in your portfolio and you need to sell them, I am the agent for you. You can get in touch with me in the description down below or visit oklahomarealestateshow.com.